Garrett Dixie Cochran. Hello there. And Matthew Dawkins. Hello. Hello. Uh, and today um, we figured in, in celebration of the fact that we've had 150 episodes uh, that we would discard all of them and start over. Um, we're, <laughs> we're going to complete 180. Right. We're just going to scrap it all and, and start again. No, we're not going to. Or as Hulk Hogan used to say, did a 360, brother. <laughs> right. So we're, so we're going to face the same direction. Yeah, right. I know. Uh, it says, Randy Savage, dude, he did a 360, brother. So he, he, he did a little spin? A little, yeah, a little I think it was move? supposed to be talking about a betrayal, but that would have been a 180. I guess it doesn't sound as impactful. <laughs> it's twice as painful. It's it's it's, it's yeah. double the intrigue. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a wrestler. Can't, can't, can't he just say facial turn? Uh, no, no, that's a kayfabe term. You don't say, I'm a face brother. <laughs> He's such a heel, dude. Uh, that, that's not how it works. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. Like, only recently that's been more acceptable to say that, except in Mexico. Mexico always has enshrined that in Luchador, in Lucha Libre. Um, there are groups that are specifically called Technicos and Duros, but anyway. Um, I'm learning. You're learning stuff. Uh, and and it's appropriate that we're having wrestling references in this uh, back to the beginning <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely hung out a lot longer than the obligatory Sailor Moon reference, which I did like twice. And then I was like, eh, I, I I can't make this work. Right. Um, and then and then it goes back to like, let's, let's talk about some of our running jokes. That's a good point. Pointing point is that um over the past few years we we've, we've developed certain inside jokes. One of them was for a long time we actually tried to work a wrestling reference in every episode until we decided that, that was getting a bit tired. We stopped that, but even then, Matthew and I would still make wrestling references, professional wrestling references throughout. Yeah, well, you know, it's part of our life, isn't it? It's difficult mm-hmm. to not mention that kind of thing occasionally. It's true, and also um I don't know if we've actually talked about it on the podcast, but um, there's a lot that following how wrestling works is, is pretty close to how a tabletop game works. It's the same kind of rough script with a lot of improv to make a creative product that's shaped by the audience watching it. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And, and the playing well, and after all professional wrestling, as it appears on camera is basically a tabletop role-playing game in the mm-hmm. sense that you have your protagonists who are undertaking story arcs who will have various setbacks before they finally triumph with any luck uh, over the evil person in their way. And of course, there are people playing characters at that uh, with ridiculous, sometimes garish costumes. I was going to say, isn't it more of a LARP? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, certainly a LARP <laughs> element to it as well. Uh, but uh, obviously it's full contact. Uh, but yeah, I um, I think the similarities are quite strong. And also, like most tabletop role-playing games, a weirdly disproportionate amount of emphasis on combat. So there you go. Yeah, and uh, storylines <laughs> that taper off before they're even concluded because management loses interest in the right. performance. That, that's, that's when a player has decided that I'm bored of playing a rogue, let's just retire this one and come back as a wizard. <laughs> I did not watch the recent WrestleMania, obviously, but um, I did see a clip from it on Twitter where a girl like picked up another like just just like like clean and jerked her over her head and mm-hmm. threw her into the ring. And I was like, I like that person. She's cool. Um, yeah, like that's 
even though wrestling is obviously performance and a lot of it is you know scripted or you know figured out behind the scenes like that's hard to do i can't imagine bodily picking up another human being like and like straight arming them over my head and then throwing them like i'm I'm not that strong uh, i think that's something a lot of people who uh criticize wrestling as it's fake uh really seem to ignore the fact that it's athletically very very impressive especially longer matches Uh, you know especially the matches that last 20 minutes plus where Mm -hmm. you're constantly moving constantly dancing with someone essentially Mm -hmm. uh and in a very very physical way so yeah no um i I think i think it's wonderful when someone who's not a fan can appreciate that Mm -hmm. uh, because they do put their bodies at ridiculous risk and uh, i think yeah they, they should be commended for giving their all to their art whether we like it or not well yeah i mean like if i can be impressed by you know broadway performers that can dance for 10 minutes straight while singing i can also be impressed by wrestlers who you know fight for 10 minutes straight yeah. <laughs> while talking the whole time half the yeah. time like it's it's not that different it's an endurance exercise and also it, it does take some real strength like they're they're throwing people I couldn't throw someone. I mean, I, I could throw like a baby, I guess. Like a small child. <laughs> you heard it here first. Dixie yeah. throws babies. That's a very no, Memphis wrestling I, style I gimmick. Could, I could throw a baby. You, you heard you heard her audience. That's Dixie <laughs> cutting a promo saying she could throw a baby if it looked at her the wrong way. <laughs> now, back to steady Eddie Webb back in the ring. <laughs> Oh no. So please tell us more about your your implied technique for how you're going to throw this baby. I mean, I think I just scoop. Yeah, probably overarm. Babies don't have bones, right? Like they're 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 fine. They are right, yeah. very rubbery. <laughs> there, there there was a, there was a meme going around a while back that was showing like the like baby x-ray machines where they put them in tubes mm-hmm. so they could x-ray them. And somebody was like this 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 can't be a baby X-ray machine because babies don't have bones. <laughs> like I think they were being serious. <laughs> Everybody was like, "Uh, they they they've got bones." <laughs> like, right? They have less bones. Yes, they have they have, they have they have fewer bones. Their bones fewer are more bones, fragile. Um, I, I I wasn't correcting you. I was just talking. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but like, they've they've got them. They've got bones. Well, well, listeners, if this is your first episode of the Onyx Pathcast, because we thought now would be a wonderful time to join in on this RPG-themed uh, show, well, welcome. Uh, this is what you have in store. Uh, usually we'll have a central position, some kind of uh, something that the show orbits. That usually lasts from about the 27th minute to the 37th. <laughs> and... <laughs> And everything else is meandering bollocks like this. Uh, but yeah, this that's quite a, fun. Our, our, our free episode digression is, I think, uh, also a staple of, of our show. Yeah. Um, although I have learned not exclusive to our show, because I've been listening to some other mm. gaming-related podcasts, and it seems like the taking a few minutes to warm up to get to the actual topic is a pretty common trope. Yeah, like... I've I've mentioned uh, your the podcast you're wrong about before on here. Mm-hmm. I listened to that one. I listened to pretty much every podcast by those hosts. There's one mm-hmm. called Why Our Dads. There's one called Maintenance Days. They're all very good. Um, and like 
one of my favorite things they do is before the theme music, they open every episode with some random like non sequitur they took out of the show. Mm-hmm. And so there's just this out of context, like two sentence musing by Sarah Marshall. And I, I'm always like, what? I, I need to know what the context for that was, but I never will. <laughs> there you go. Um, but a similar, like I've been listening to uh, the letters page, um, which is, a bizarre concept because it's it's Sentence the Multiverse podcast by the people who made Sentence the Multiverse card game. Um, and they're talking about the comic book history for the card game, which does not exist. Um, and so they're talking about completely fictional comics. That's great. Uh, and it's lovely and it's fantastic. <laughs> and they have like three years of episodes and it's genuinely weirdly compelling because they talk about these things as if they were real. And it's like, I really want to read that now, but I know I can't. So all I have is what these people are saying. It took me a little while to wrap my head around the concept as you described it, but now I think I understand it. I am intrigued. And it's cool because, like, for example, like, the beginning of it is they'll talk about um, different heroes. It's like, here's the, you know, because each hero is a deck in the game. Um, and they'll talk about, here's a hero, and they'll go into their history and the comics they appeared in and how they relate to the other heroes. And then if you go through the cards, you'll see the artwork. Oh, that artwork's actually a reference to a thing that in their heads happens in the comics. Yeah. Um, so it gives more context for the, the cards that you're playing. So it's like, oh, that's actually hmm. really cool. Um, but they they have a specific part of the show. Like, okay, here's the part where we're going to talk about nothing or chit-chat or catch up because they've been friends for a long time. Um, and then they'll slowly make their way into the episode. So, so we stand on the shoulders of giants in the podcasting in terms of not getting right to the topic. Um, but in this case... Um, I figured we'd start with the actual topic, which is uh, uh, talk a little bit about ourselves, um, how we got into uh, tabletop gaming industry, how we got into Onyx Path, and then maybe a little bit uh, uh, after we do the instructions about kind of how we've grown or changed over the past few years. Um, so Matthew, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit of your, to use comic book analogy, your origin story. Yeah, it's a tale as old as time, Eddie. I is it got really? in- no, I got into the brother versus table- brother, man versus man, man versus yes. creature. <laughs> yeah, uh, the cosmic, the cosmic ballet. It's uh, not the cosmic <laughs> ballet. It's the cosmic <laughs> ballet. Is that like uh, a cosplay mac and cheese? Yeah, uh, let, let's say that. That's how I started. No, I got into the <laughs> tabletop role playing game industry by essentially making pictures. Uh, or making pictures, sending in writing submissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I was obviously already into gaming at the time. I think it's very rare for someone to apply for a uh, writing position on a tabletop role-playing game if they don't already play or run games. Yeah. But, you know, it's possible. And, yeah, at first I was just sending in writing samples, hoping I would get hired for a book. And I was clearly missing something, and uh, that's perfectly normal. So I ended up uh, signing up as a consulting developer on one of our Kickstarters. And the reason was because I could have spent the money on a creative writing lesson or series of them, or I could have sort of got in on a project and seen how writers write, how developers develop, what they look for, what works, what doesn't, that kind of thing. So I did that and I spent the next couple of months gently interacting with the developer. Mm -hmm and very closely observing and taking notes on what was working on this particular book that, on which I was a consulting developer. 
Having learned everything that I learned, I then made another writing submission and was picked up to write on a book very soon after. That was on Sothis Ascends for Mummy the Curse. Mm -hmm. And after that, the work just kind of kept flowing. And I know that sounds maybe a bit arrogant, maybe, but it's true. I, I very quickly developed a rhythm with work and mm -hmm. I was pretty effective at networking. Uh, approaching developers in a polite way and asking whether they were at all interested in having my services on one of their books. They could speak to this developer, that developer who I'd worked with already, and hopefully they would speak up in my favor, that kind of thing. And eventually I was getting sufficient writing work and showing enough management skill over my work. I wasn't delayed on any assignments. I was always hitting word count. I, my red lines were usually pretty light. Mm -hmm. That I ended up getting in as a developer on a book, as a co-developer on Beckett's Jihad Diary. Mm -hmm. and then I was a solo developer on Pan's Guide for New Pioneers and subsequently lots of other books. Then after that, uh, I reached a sort of crossroads in my career outside of tabletop role-playing games and video games and board games and other things I had been writing for and my training career and decided I would fully embrace the creative life Gave up the training as Rich Thomas, our creative director, and I basically negotiated a position where I could develop a certain number of books in a year and oversee various lines and developers and writers and do this, that and the other. Basically hit various obligations and targets. And if I were to do so, I'd be able to earn a monthly uh, payment as sort of as a contractor. Mm -hmm. But it was the kind of security I needed to be able to get into this full time and mm. give up the other day job. Uh, so all while I was doing that, I was still working for lots of other companies. I still do on occasion, though I've dialed it back a little recently. Again, various RPGs, board games, card games, video games. But Onyx Path is definitely the center of my creative output. Mm -hmm. I, I do a lot more work for us, uh, our company, for Rich, than I do for any other company. And that's pretty useful because I, more than any other company, I love our catalogue of games and I know mm -hmm. them so so well and the people that work mm -hmm. on them. So that is more or less my journey. You like all of them except for they came from, right? The guy oh, that develops that is a real jerk. Can't oh, stand such that an came from. It's a oh, ridiculous. That guy. <laughs> oh, it's a ridiculous concept. Comedy, <laughs> comedy in a game. No one likes to laugh at a gaming table. <laughs> I remember when Monty Python lines were banned from gaming clubs globally, and that, for really? as far as I was concerned, it was a good move. I'm glad no one ever went back on that. <laughs> um, so, Dixie, how about you? Uh, yeah, so I have been, you know, play, playing role-playing games since I was 14, well, t t technically since I was 7, uh, but I only played a couple when I was a kid, and then I started playing on my own when I was 14, mm -hmm. um, and I started with things like Vampire, um, that's, that's, that, not, not when I was 7, when I was 14. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, wow. <laughs> I think, I think it had just come out when I was 7, <laughs> so that would have been a cutting-edge, uh, second grader. 
Um, but yeah, so I've I've been playing off and on for a long time, a lot of World of Darkness stuff, and uh, not not much else for a long time there. Maybe some D and D here and there. Uh, but then I went to school for editing. Um, not that you could get a degree in that, but that was always kind of my intent was to edit after I got out. Um, I, I copy edited our school newspaper. I did some editing work for friends. I took a lot of classes in both fiction writing, poetry writing, uh, essays in general, and composition and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like have a... a a specific degree but i definitely focused all of my classes toward what i wanted to do mm-hmm. um and then i got i got a school and i kind of didn't i just like floated around for a while couldn't find anything in that field that was like entry level becoming a copy editor for a living is a little weird um just in that you know not a lot of companies are advertising for that specifically aside from like really boring like science journals i didn't want to work for (laughs) or like medical editing i was like i don't want to do that i want to edit like comic books or you know novels or something um so after a while i ended up reconnecting with my old friend rose bailey um who i had not talked to in a while and we 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 chatted and she was in my position the the one that i hold now Mm -hmm. um and i just kind of mentioned offhand I, i was having trouble finding editing work and she was like, oh, well, let me give you a shot on a, you know, shorter book, like a 30,000 word book. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I apparently impressed her. Um, and then I kept editing for her for three years, I guess. Um, and then when she decided to leave the industry, she recommended me to take over this job. And I was working retail. It was a really hard decision to leave my retail job. I actually didn't leave it for two years. I just worked extremely part time. Where I worked like two mornings a week to like eight eight hours a week at my retail job, um, but I I did the same thing as Matthew. I signed up to be a full time contractor with uh, with Rich, and I guess slightly different agreement because I, I don't really develop books, but I do edit books and I also assign all the editors and everything, and I am in charge of Exalted and Chronicles of Darkness, so I deal with those teams all the time. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was a kind of a similar journey in that I just you know chose to leave the day job. But I like it. I like being here. It's nice. What about you, Eddie? Uh, mine is a little more uh, fraught with peril, I think. Yeah, well, you've been doing this a lot longer than me and Matthew have. So you've got, you've got more history with it. It's like, for me, it's like, oh, I started in 2018, you know. Right. And mine journey starts in 2001. So Right, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so I started professionally uh, uh, with, um, I, I joined forces with uh, Cynthia Celeste Miller, um, who worked on a game called Cartoon Action Hour, uh, which is a game emulating uh, 80s action cartoons. Uh, and uh, so I became vice president of Spectrum Games, which is a company of two people. Uh, so vice president would be me, not, not Cynthia. Uh, but we worked together on that <laughs> game, um, and uh, we pretty quickly got uh, a deal with uh, Z-Man Games, which was just starting out that time, but is now known for massively games like like pandemic mm-hmm. uh and, and the like um so they're a big board game company now but at the time they were just getting started and they wanted to also try out role-playing games which did not work out for z-man in the end um but so we ended up doing a few games for z-man games and i had mixed experiences with that nothing to do with Cynthia. it was just all just, and even really uh zev from z-man it was just the nature of the projects weren't quite working out the way i had hoped they would uh, so, um, I kind of fell out. I burned out pretty hard, uh, as a result of that and kind of said, I'm not going to do this ever again. 
but uh, I was heavily involved in vampire live action. Uh, and so a friend of mine who also worked for White Wolf had said that there was they were looking around for some possibilities for the uh, vampire mask, vampire the Requiem line developer. And I said, sure, I'll apply for that. Uh, actually had an interview with uh, Rich Thomas at Gen Con uh, where we, it was, it was an interesting interview because like I knew questions were being asked of me, but also we were talking about things like Max Headroom and Doc Savage. And so I was like, is, is the interview actually happening now? I don't know. Oh, that's how he gets you. Right, yeah, it just kind of lures you in. It's just like, wait, <laughs> when did the interview start? I'm confused. Um, but uh, uh, they ultimately, uh, they gave the position to uh, Joe Carricker, Um, But Rich approached me and said uh, he would still like to hire me on as uh, what he was calling the alternative publishing uh, developer. Someone who specifically would be handling, uh, at the time, PDF products. They were just moving into that arena. Um, so this was like around 2007. Uh, so PDFs were just becoming, PDFs not only just becoming a thing, but also products that were exclusive to PDF or native to PDF were just becoming a thing that we're exploring. And eventually that grew into print on demand. Uh, so I said, yes, uh, my family moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where we now live, uh, with a brief digression, moving to Ireland. Um, and White Wolf had just merged with a company called CCP. Uh, they made uh, video games, most notably they make EVE Online. And so they wanted to uh, get into publishing, but also they wanted to make World Darkness themed video games. And so uh, I came on board and then within about a year, publishing got gutted, let's be honest. Uh, a lot yeah. of them were forced to, forced to move over to work on the MMO or leave the company. Uh, so many of them took option A uh, and so working in the World Darkness MMO. Um, and I mean, a few other people were kind of keeping publishing going. We were the people kind of managing it, but that got less and less and less until eventually uh, it was decreed that publishing would be canceled. They're just going to ax the division. Uh, I, Rich talked to me and ultimately we pointed out that we were actually making a fair amount of money through uh, the digital channels. Uh, and so even though I was working in the MMO, part of my job was to continue to keep publishing going. So for about a year, year and a half, uh, it was pretty much just me and Rich doing the publishing division. Uh, and that's actually when I started doing things like the uh, White Wolf Blogcast, uh, where I was just me talking to a microphone because it was trying to find ways to let people know, nope, we're still doing stuff. You know, we're still making games. It's all cool. Just yeah. a lot slower than before. Mm -hmm. And uh, then... Rich kind of leveraged that into a pitch for CCP for a transmedia division, which was a big buzzword around 2010 of taking a video game or a, a property like a movie franchise and then going into other media, but continuing to tell that story in different media. So it's not just a licensing deal where it's like, oh, this is the tabletop game of the movie. It's that tabletop game will be telling a distinct part of the story that only it's telling and it's tied to the larger franchise. And so we explored that for a while, but then in uh, late 2011, um, there were a bunch of layoffs. Rich had already been looking at taking these transmedia ideas and turning it to his own company. So um, he formed Onyx Path Publishing, and I worked for him. Even though I was still working at CCP, I worked for him as a freelancer and a consultant. And then mm -hmm. pretty soon, because throughout the layoffs, uh, most people who worked on the role-playing games had actually been let go or chose to leave – uh, there weren't many people left in the company who actually understood how these things were made or what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So pretty quickly I became the uh, 
uh, liaison to uh, CCP. So uh, ostensibly, if any role-playing game company was working with CCP, they would go through me. But really, it was just Onyx Path Publishing. And so I would take the information in Rich Hand, get the questions to the right people who could actually give me answers, explain things to them if I needed to. Uh, Legal loved me, actually, because it legitimately loved me because I would come in there and spend time explaining to them what the stuff is they were signing off on they could make actual informed decisions on. So they were actually really appreciated my help. Um, and then I could consolidate their feedback and bring it back to Rich and he could move forward with projects and whatnot. Um, so that was a relationship we had for a couple of years. Um, then I was uh, laid off with CCP on my, my wedding anniversary, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, with my wife, even. We were both working at the company at the same time. Yeah, it wasn't great. No, it, it, was, it wasn't a fun day. Um, but uh, basically, as I was being let go, it was the, okay, here's the, the contract you sign. In, and um, again, the, uh, Bill Winters, who was the lawyer, um, he was there and signing and he said, okay, now here's another contract I want you to look at because they wanted to immediately hire me as a freelance consultant to continue my work of explaining RPGs to people who don't work in the RPG industry. Uh, and so I did that project for a while um, and that was the start of me forming my own company, Pugsteady, which became I do freelance full-time. I can turn this consultancy thing into a full-time thing. Uh, and so I became self-employed freelance and I did that for a couple of years. Um, I got involved with uh, a startup who um, I was happy to work with a startup, but the the pace of it and the stress of it was just a lot. A tech startup is a very different creature than the tabletop RPG industry. And I was pretty regularly doing things like 12 hour days. And at the time I was living in Ireland. So I was doing 12 hour days with people on the West coast of the U S which means I was working very, very late nights. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just can't keep doing this. Um, so I had talked to Rich about it because during that time, I was uh, I, I had a small retainer with him, uh, like when Rose was around, where I would just kind of come into meetings, offer my basically be a consultant for Onyx Path, and occasionally doing some uh, development work with them. And I was like, I kind of need to turn this into a full time thing or, or just something to make it more stable, so I can get out of this startup position. Um, and the startup position was also we were coming to realize that I was not a good fit. So it was not, it was a mutual thing. And I was like, I see where this is going. I want to kind of have a negative strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he was like, well, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I just talked to Matthew Dawkins about something very similar. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then at that time we found out that Rose was wanting to leave. Um, and so the three of us kind of came on board more or less at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, you know, less than, I guess, two months. In between each of us starting mm-hmm. up, um, and yeah, initially uh, I didn't know Rose was uh, heading out, uh, but it was yeah, it very quickly evolved into being the three of us, and mm-hmm. we divided up the the work that we had uh, with different uh, licenses, I guess, different intellectual properties falling under different people's purviews. Mm-hmm. Um, which we do occasionally reevaluate if like one of us has two like you know when trinity started it was two books (laughs) yeah and now it's a lot so we like move stuff around occasionally um when i came on initially we were doing a lot more world of darkness because Mm -hmm. um we had all of the 20th anniversary lines still going strong and as they have dialed back with the exclusion of Mage, uh, we've I've subsequently taken on some of the lines that have either expanded or gone in different directions that were under Eddie, uh, mm-hmm. such as uh, Legend Lore, Scarred Lands, uh, and they came from, which made more sense to come over to me in, well, 
uh, I guess, right. in retrospect, because it was the game I was developing. Uh, right. It, it was. It was initially. Um... Because uh, it was on me because it was a story path game, and yes, I needed to yeah. kind of keep all the story path. Because that was one of the problems we're running into with story path is because everyone's kind of going their own directions, and we really mm-hmm. need someone to make sure that the game was doing what it needs to do to make that game the best game it could. But also, if one game was doing X and another game was doing X a slightly different way, it's try to get those X's to look much closer together. Yes, um, and so it made sense for me to initially shepherd they came from, but then once. We gotten uh, a sign on in Trinity, and they came from established. And I started working in DRE. We talked, and it was like, you know what, you know what you're doing with this game now. We've got the basics nailed down. I don't need to keep watching over you. So yeah, go ahead and let's move it more for sure into your plate because it just it, it was getting strange. Where you would send something to me, I would say, yep, and send it back to you, so you can send it ahead. And it's like this is an unnecessary step now. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's mine, all mine, and Richard's. And then like also um, in there fairly early on, I, I think it was not even a year in uh, I had the, the, the whack idea. And I was just like, Hey, let's do a podcast. Cause I remembered uh, enjoying doing the white wolf podcast. And I was like, yeah. and a lot of people had really enjoyed that as well, because it was just me talking by myself for 15 minutes into a microphone about what had gone on during my work day and whatnot. And I was like, let's do something kind of like that, you know, cause my knowledge of podcasts was 10 years old at that point in time. And so therefore I knew exactly what I was talking about. And Dixie was like, Oh honey, no, you're wrong. And <laughs> no, that, that that was one of my favorite moments when we talked about doing this was that you were like, so episode should be what, like 20 minutes? And I was like, you don't listen to podcasts, do you? Because like <laughs> podcasts are an, usually an hour. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the ones I listen to take up to two hours, depending on the, 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 the topic, you know, um, I if a podcast is less than 45 minutes, I feel cheated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. I'm like, I'm like, like, no, this is my, this is my hour long thing I'm going to do, you know? And, and so, I mean, you know, since then I have, I, I've gotten back into listening to podcasts. I was like, no, that's absolutely true. You're right. It's act- and actually over the past few years, it seems like two hours is often becoming more and more. Hour and a half to two hours is actually pr- more the norm now than it was even mm-hmm. when we started. Don't tempt me, Frodo. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, I listened to a podcast called the Bechdel cast, which is uh, people evaluating movies, you know, based on the Bechdel test. And, mm. all, and other feminist things and there have been episodes where their their episode has gone on longer than the movie <laughs> mm. like their their discussion of the movie has been longer than the movie itself and that's that's always funny when that that happens absolutely uh but yeah so um and the initial idea was like um let's just get together and much like the the um, white wolf blogcast uh, i wanted it to be more slice of life here's who we are as people and the, here's the stuff we're working on and how that impacts it. I didn't really want it to be a marketing vehicle, um, but I was open towards if Rich really is like, no, it has to be a marketing driven thing. And then I was like, okay, well then we can try that too. So that's why I, we, I, the whole team talked about it. It wasn't just me saying this is what we're doing. It was like, I want to talk it through. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rich, you know, to his credit was very supportive. Like you guys do whatever you want to just, you know, make sure it hits every week, every, every two weeks. And then pretty quickly, Rich is like, can you guys do it every week? And we're like, yeah, I think we can do it every week now. Um, and so it was like every Friday, as long as there's something up, he doesn't really care much what we talk about. Um, it's like everyone's going to like <laughs> maybe mention the games you work on. That'd be great. Uh, and so he's given us a whole lot of freedom to do this. And we now have this, very weird 
podcasts. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the games we work on and you know, we do deep dives and interviews and all the stuff you'd expect for company podcasts, but we also do stuff like let's play Mario Kart in a purely audio medium and talk about <laughs> stuff. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, that's a far away memory now. Uh, I think we're all, uh, if I can say so, I feel like yeah. we're all very lucky to work for Onyx Path. I'm not just saying that because this is called the Onyx Path cast and because Rich will probably listen to the episode. Uh, but <laughs> hi, Rich. Hi, Rich. It, hi, uh, Rich. There, there's a lot of people who work in the role-playing game industry or who want to work in the RPG industry and say how it's untenable to do so that uh, the money isn't good enough or it's unreliable or that you know any any given reason and they're perfectly valid reasons yeah the fact that we have the three of us are in a position where we do get to essentially get kept on a monthly retainer uh, and have been able to work this way for uh, years now mm-hmm. is pretty damn fortunate and so i you know i i'm i'm incredibly grateful to be working at this company and as i mentioned earlier to be working on games that i love working on and with people i really enjoy working with it's um i know it will make uh some people i guess cringe or hate me but it is a dream come true it is a uh a job that i don't think i could have truly anticipated being able to mm-hmm. get uh, without, I guess, you know, it's not obviously it's not all luck. We all made connections. We all worked damn hard to get where we did, and so on. But at the same time, a lot of things fell into place at the right moments for us to for this to happen, and a lot of that's on Rich. So uh, thanks, Rich. Uh, I know I I certainly appreciate it. I'm sure I speak for my two co-hosts so when I say I'm sure they do too. Yeah, you do. Um, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> no, I I love this. Um, also, just working for someone, and like this is also going to sound like I'm kissing up. I don't care. Um, working for someone who understands things like mental health issues, yeah. um, and and other just you know problems you might have, and encourages you to do things like take a day off if you want to. Just like take a day off. I mean, yeah. I've I've talked in the podcast before about how. Sometimes I work a kind of kind of kind of a quote unquote normal like you know nine to five Monday through Friday, and sometimes I have a day where I just cannot get focused. I say fuck it, play video games all day, and then work on Saturday. You know, mm-hmm. and like as long as the work is getting done, no one's keeping track of me, right? Which is nice because um, I've you know worked retail for a long time where like every every five minute break you take is is tracked <laughs> by a by a time clock. And here it's like, yeah, there's some days I just can't get going. And then I, I know I can do it later, you know, mm-hmm. or I can do it a different time. Um, I can work all weekend and that's totally fine if, 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 if it's my choice, you know. Yep. Um, and that is sometimes my choice because my, 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 my boyfriend also does freelance work. So sometimes he has to work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So if he has to work on the weekends and we're not going to hang out anyway, then sometimes I'll be like, okay, I guess we'll both work on the weekend. That's fine. Whatever. Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's it's nice working for someone who gets that like if if any of us sends out an email that's like hey i just need two days off this week because i'm just not feeling it rich is like cool maybe maybe get me this thing beforehand but like after that have a good one you know right and and the other piece and and one of the reasons why I, i love doing this podcast with with both of you is that we're in an interesting position that we're not employees 
um, on the surface, everything we do looks like an employee. You know, we're, we, we work full-time for Onyx Path. You know, we're talking on this company podcast and so forth. But we are actually contractors and we are freelancers. And all three of us do work outside of Onyx Path as contractors and freelancers. And again, Rich is totally cool with that because he understands how the contract dynamic works. He's been a contractor and freelancer in art industry for, for decades. Um, so he gets all that. And so we can come at this from a perspective of we can see other things in the industry, other projects we've worked on and bring that both into Onyx Path, but also talk about them openly so we can talk about what it's like being a freelancer because most of the people who work for Onyx Path are freelancers. We're not talking about it in perspective of we used to be freelancers and we know how it is. Mm-hmm. We, we st- we're still day-to-day doing that. Oh, you know, it's it's nice to think that, you know, we take bits and pieces the best we can from, let's say, our work for other companies, the things we learn. But I, a uh, couple of months ago, found my very first writing submission to White Wolf of Old in about 2006. <laughs> oh, no. And no, of course, it's not great, but I found I'm still using ideas from it today. <laughs> So I've been telling the same damn story for the last uh, <laughs> fifteen years of of writing on and off. Uh, not no such thing as an original idea in my head. Well, I mean, um, I, I think that's pretty common. Uh, in fact, like <laughs> I was um, listening to a comic book, a different pod, 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 podcast, um, and they're talking about Mark Wade, and it's like, you know, did you realize that Mark Wade has a dead giant trope? Um, and they go through all the different series he's worked on and most of them at some point in time will feature a giant man having been murdered um and it's just like that's a weirdly specific trope but okay you know he that's that's his thing he does that so i mean all i think all writers usually have some kind of core ideas they, they tend to go back to their, their 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 themes if you will um so that's not uncommon um but i mean we have changed on a different yeah. level i mean you know oh, we, so. we are different so like um well, we we got we've done the recap of of where we came from, but like from the time you either came on board or from the first episode of the the Pathcast, you know, whichever starting point you want to work from, um, what have y'all learned? How are you different? How are you better? How are you worse? Uh, um, how have we changed since episode one? I've been in a pandemic for a year and a half. Well, <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Now, um, uh, let's see. So I've tried to get better at delegating and not feeling like I have to edit every major book myself. Because mm-hmm. um, for a while, that was a real problem where I was like, oh, it's an important book. I have to do it. And then it was like, no, like, you hire other people. Like, sometimes I'll have a week where I don't edit because I have meetings, other stuff going on and logistics things and contracts to file, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, once I realized that that was more my job at this point than like just being an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot more comfortable with the fact that I might not get as much done because I, I used to kick myself if I wasn't editing for like four to six hours a day, you know? Right. But sometimes I've been meetings four to six hours a day. <laughs> yeah. And like that that's most of my day at that point. Um, and so, yeah, like doing email and communicating with people and fi- filing pay. People like getting paid, you know? It's a thing I've heard that. Like. Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff takes priority, even though I do still edit, but like... I do a lot more delegation now uh, than I used to. Um, I've also learned that I I do like developing books, but only if I'm super passionate about them. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're like for, for for a hot minute, we were looking at me developing uh, Victorian Mage, mm-hmm. and although I'm passionate about the Victorian era and the Regency period and some other historical things, I'm not passionate about Mage the Ascension. Right. I I don't dislike it. 
but it's not my passion game. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm maybe not the person to do this, actually. Uh, and same with Mummy 2E. Like, there were just a couple of books where I was like, I might not be the person for this book. I enjoy developing Monarchies of Mal, and I've enjoyed all my work on Exalted Essence. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's 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 clearly just a matter of how much do I want to develop this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not be opposed to do more development in the future on certain things, things like Pugmire, they came from, or, you know, more like, exalted stuff. But I'm not sure that I should do it ever for, like, you know, uh, some, like, Chronicles line just on my own. Because I love Chronicles, but all the Chronicles developers are far more passionate about their own lines. Right. That I am about like any individual one. So, yeah, I would say those are two main main things that I have learned and that have changed a lot over the years. How about you, Matthew? So I, I've been weighing up while Dixie's been talking the various, I guess, things that I've learned and improved on, the various things that I've not. I'm at a stage right now, and I mean right now, where I guess I'm in the middle of a pain point when it comes to personal development, and uh, I can identify these looking back over the years. They might be due to being overburdened with work, not having delegated successfully, or who knows what reason. It could just be a very stressful project. And sometimes it's difficult to look out from around that and think, oh, yeah, but I managed to do this, or look at how good I've become at this, for instance. Mm -hmm. And something that I never really thought I would be capable of doing was being more than the vampire guy. Mm. And I think you probably went through a similar thing, Eddie, uh, where I was so closely associated with Vampire the Masquerade, and I still am to to a degree. I think uh, people still weekly ask me questions about vampire whether it's old edition stuff v5 whatever and i don't mind i i like the fact that they value my opinion uh, but it took a while to build up the confidence and and to see the success of projects of course to build up the confidence that i could do more than that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i don't suffer from imposter syndrome i don't think in the same way that a lot of developers do and that may be a bit egotistical of me to say i I don't i don't sit here and think i'm not a very good writer i've been fooling everyone all this time they're going to catch me out eventually that's not a thought process that goes through my head i mean it's 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 okay to not have mental illness or depression (laughs) or anxiety oh yeah but, (laughs) but, but what i was going to say is i do sometimes think God, when am I going to have another vampire? Where yeah. have I kind of um, expended my my three to five best years on the end of V twenty and the beginning of V five, and given how much time I dumped into learning all of that lore and all of the intricacies of the weird mechanics of some of the disciplines and all that sort of stuff, now that I've done it where have I got to go from it? Right. And I don't, sometimes it comes back to me. Sometimes I think like that, but I think due to mm-hmm. the success, the popularity of uh, products like the, they came from games, uh, Chronicles of darkness game, like mummy, the curse second edition. Uh, I have been able to 
value my own contribution more than I was able to when I first started. I've been able to see that, okay, I am actually capable of being creative in more than just one area. And I shouldn't feel guilty when I work on things that aren't just goth punk horror. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I remember, and I've mentioned it on previous episodes, I know, but I remember when I was speaking to Eddie and Rich about they came from beyond the grave. And my feeling kept dragging it back to being this grim horror. It's a very mm-hmm. smoke, uh, cigarette smoke stained horror was sort mm-hmm. of how I was seeing it of 1970s Hammer Horror movies. And Eddie, you, well, you and Rich were telling me, no, there's nothing wrong with this being a comedy game. It doesn't mm-hmm. make your work any less for it being comedy. Mm-hmm. And again, that's some that's an obstacle I had to kind of mentally mm-hmm. vault to become comfortable with it. And I, I have done at this point. So yeah. I mean, if you look yeah. at it like one of the most highly acclaimed you know, TV shows of the past little bit here is The Good Place, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's comedy, but it's also got you know heart it's got things happening it's part of why i like they came from is because like you're sorry there's a man yelling outside um <laughs> just, like, just out of cloud your <laughs> your characters are, are are serious about the situation they're in right, right. Mm-hmm. they are they are being chased by a killer or stalked by dracula or what have you but the players know very well that this is a movie and mm-hmm. it's a campy movie and uh things are funny and i love that about this game is that like it's got both things it's got you know serious peril and ridiculousness happening at the same time no absolutely and and, i mean i think that that's uh to to your point about uh imposter syndrome as well um i mean i I went through the same arc just in a sense i don't don't go with mine yet but just um i went from horror to humor very similar thing and i was like i can't make this divide i can't make this jump uh, and I, you know, the realization that humor writing is just as valid as horror writing as, as a craft is sometimes a, a weird mental hurdle um, for, for, I think, a fair number of people. But uh, I'm really glad you made it because, like Dixie said, it's like the humor in role playing games is very hard. I think humor is harder than horror to write in tabletop role playing games. Um, and, and the They Came From games are genuinely funny and elegantly so in a way that i think very few tabletop role-playing games manage so i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's hard and it was hard for you to do and i saw what you struggled with but at the end you really nailed it well i appreciate you saying that in this recorded medium for posterity i will <laughs> I'll, I'll put this uh a clip of that on my website matthewdawkins.com uh, but <laughs> Uh, so something i do still need to get better at uh, and again i know i can I know, Eddie, you and I had this discussion, what, I guess, around the end of last year regarding projects outside of Onyx Path or just pro- a wide uh, handful of projects in general is sometimes, and I think this is the curse of every freelancer, you take on more than you can handle or you take mm-hmm. on more than you should. And it's either because you want yeah. to sort of stay in the game, you want to stay relevant, or because or because a project really interests you and excites you. Yeah. But there are points where you have too many projects and it starts making your work suffer, starts making your mental health suffer. And at that point you need to reappraise, okay, so what have I got and what do I want? 
and how and is it possible to manage both and it's okay and i need to really get to grips with the it's okay with not doing as much as i was two years ago or not doing quite as much as when i was working full-time as a trainer and working every evening and weekends writing because i'm a dad now and have been for four years nearly five Mm -hmm. And so my life has changed a great deal since I first started writing, um, mm. as well as when I first started developing full time. And yeah, sometimes it's easy to fall back into those trends and then look at the amount of work I've got due and think, oh, God, I just don't. It's not that I don't necessarily have the time for it or even that I don't have the energy. I may just lack the inspiration mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. it. There's all kinds of things that can happen uh, that can, I guess, cause stress but yeah uh, it's something i need to get better at doing uh, just finding ways to alleviate the the stress the weight of work and i think it's a constant battle but uh, listeners will be pleased to know i'm giving myself some time off to think about it yay time off absolutely uh, and for me, I mean, honestly, it's funny, a, a lot of what I was going to say, both of you have kind of covered um, in the sense, uh, for, for Matthew's perspective, I also have kind of gotten over the, I can only ever do vampire. Pugmire certainly has, has helped with that, but um, even beyond that, because then I, after a couple of years, I was like, okay, maybe Pugmire will be the only thing I ever do, right? I'll always be the Pugmire guy, and I was supposed to vampire guy, and now it's like I have other stuff in the works that people are starting to get excited about. So, okay, mm-hmm. I, can, I, I can replicate the success. Um, so that was one piece of it. Um, and like you, I, I've come to terms with making my work meaningful, uh, rather than just choosing work because it's there and I need to take it, choosing work that's meaningful, whether that's advancing my career, whether that's because it pays well, whether it's because it's something I I feel passionate about, whatever, but making the choices for a reason other than because it's there and it's being offered to me. Uh, that's something else that I've kind of had to come to, but also kind of from where Dixie was saying is that understanding my limitations, understanding what I can and can't do. Um, well, one thing, I, don't, I haven't talked to anybody about this yet, uh, but um, when I first came into uh, this position, uh, I pretty quickly fell into the role of uh, of the old man in the mountain, right? It's like, you know, I was a person that uh, both of you came to for advice and suggestions and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that got wrapped up in my own head was, well, then I have to always be right. I have to always have the right answer. No. Uh, and, and so I, I, I really got into this loop of I can't have an off day. Uh, and the pandemic really, really, really reinforced me that that's just not a sustainable path. Uh, because when everything kind of came crashing down, I was like, oh, so it's pretty much impossible to always be on, always be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that also stems from the fact that I grew up as a gifted child, right? That, you know, I grew up in a, a program, though, because I was intelligent, so I had an accelerated program. And- oh, same. And, and and so so you know the whole gift thing of like oh I did this once and failed so therefore I can never do it again because yep, yep. I have to think it right the first time. Yep, that's part of why I was uh, not into writing for a long time, and I was like really tentative to start writing was because I <laughs> every time that I sat down to write in like college, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I I took a lot of fiction classes, like I said, I. If I didn't sit down and immediately write like American Gods, then I right. was a bad writer. You know, if I didn't mm-hmm. sit down and immediately write like these writers that have been doing it for 40 years, that I was a bad writer. And so I didn't deserve to write because I, I couldn't write like my idols. 
mm-hmm. you know? And that's such a weird trap to fall into because it's not like, like for, for for most writers, their their big hit, their thing that they break out about, like isn't the first thing they ever wrote, right? <laughs> um, I, I I when when Pugmire hit, there was a, a, a bunch of people who just didn't know what it was. It was like going, you know, this you know breakout hit from every web, and it's like, yeah, I'm I'm an overnight sensation, ten years in the making, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I expect Exalted Essence is going to do pretty well, and. There will be some people that have never heard of me that will hear of me, mm-hmm. most likely. Like most of the exalted community knows kind of who I am on right. some level, but like we'll we'll see what happens with the fandom. And I kind of anticipate that happening too, where it's like, oh, I've been here since 2015, but hi, hello. Right, exactly. Uh, and so that's something that I over the past couple of years is I've been, I'm still working on it, but it's the sense of it's okay to have a bad day. Um, that's something actually specifically Dixie, uh, you have been helping me with um, in terms of saying it's okay to have a bad day. And, and also um, mm-hmm. Matthew's been helping me with the, it's okay to ask for help um, yes. because I was the person that gave the help. I cannot be the person that asks for it. And I've well, gotten, yeah. over, I've gotten over that. But like all of us, like we have, we have a pretty good peer relationship with the three of us. I think mm-hmm. um, like we have our own private channel on discord where the three of us can just talk Um Ostensibly about the pathcast, but often it's about things like farty horns or uh, wrestling <laughs> memes. Right. But that, that 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 said, it is also a place where if Eddie needs to vent about something like mm-hmm. work related or even not, you know, maybe maybe Eddie's dog was acting up. Mm-hmm. He can come in there and he can vent to the two of us. And like to me, that's kind of where the exchange comes in. Is I come to you for advice on the regular still, where I'm like, how right. do I say this to this person? You know, because mm-hmm. um, you're you're better at like letting someone down easy than I am. Mm-hmm. So like, what, what, like, how should I word this thing? And in return, when you're having a shit day, I am happy to sit here and be like, oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's like you do work labor for me fairly often. I will do emotional labor for you <laughs> because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what friendship is about. And like, I've, at the end of the day, whether we work for on a path or not, the three of us have become friends. Right. Absolutely. And like, yeah. I, I, I don't imagine that changing even if one of us leaves. Like, we, we might, might might not talk as often, but, like, I'd still hang out with y'all at a con, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's fine. No one's leaving right now, by the way. I'm just, like, saying in a, in a hypothetical future. Um, well, this is awkward. <laughs> oh, no. Let's take this moment to announce that... Uh, All three of us are quitting. No. Right. At the um, end of the year, we're winding on its path up. It's been a great, great... Bye, time. Rich. We just dissolved your company. Uh... <laughs> He's going to be so mad at us. Um, but yeah, so like we're all friends. We all get along. And so mm-hmm. we we vent to each other. And like if, you know, like I said, if, if one of us is having a bad day, then we can vent. If one of us is having an issue with a freelancer or some random shit on Twitter or whatever, we can go in there and we can vent about it. We can talk to each other. And that's something that I think a lot of virtual offices still need is yeah. that space to be like, I'm having a real shitty day, you know, like that's 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 a thing that you would say to your coworker in the lunchroom Mm -hmm. and so like being able to kind of have a a virtual space to say like man i'm just not motivated today like both both matthew and eddie know that i'm i'm on this new medication and it's making me sleep way longer than usual Mm -hmm. and so there are a lot of days where it's like you know 10 a.m and i'm like i'm sorry i just got going (laughs) because this medication is essentially sedating me. Mm-hmm. So I'm sleeping for like 10 hours. I feel great when I wake up, but I am sleeping for way longer than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 
they know that and they're okay with it and i can talk to them about it if i want to and no 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 one's gonna punish me for not being on the clock at 8 a.m too which is nice and I also, I mean, I think it's other parts of the company too. Like, um, Rich and I will often have private talks, just uh, vent, mm-hmm. each of us venting to each other about stuff. Um, and that's because we have that long work history and, and friendship together. So it's like, you know, he just has context for older things that, that you know, sometimes requires me to explain a lot to y'all about. Um, Mike Cheney vents to me sometimes about his frustrations. Uh, uh, Matt McElroy has reached out to me at mm-hmm. times when I'm ha- I'm struggling. Uh, Ian Watson and I have ha- often shared hard hearts. So, I mean, it, it goes to every part of the company, I feel. Like a lot of us feel comfortable talking to each other. But you're right. Sometimes you can't do that. You can't necessarily vent to the whole company. You have to kind of have those private spaces. Um, or mm-hmm. sometimes like like this. I mean, it, it kind of lead me to my wrap-up is that one of the reasons why I think we've been doing this for 150 episodes is that it's not just – a marketing vehicle. It's not just us talking about the company. It is the fact that the three of us all love working on this stuff. We all enjoy each other's company and we just genuinely have fun conversations. And every once in a while, we actually remember to push the record button and Zencaster cooperates and lets us record it. And we get to share that with other people. Don't, don't um, yeah. say that. You're going to jinx it. But, but we would talk about Farty Horns regardless of whether we were recording this or not. You know, we would still, we, we, we would still make these goofy references for to wrestling memes or, or talk about Sailor Moon or talk about Transformers, regardless of whether there was a mic in front of our faces or not. So we just really recording. A lot of times when you're listening to these episodes, you're just listening to us. I mean, we would still need the microphones to talk. Well, right. But it, we would not be, <laughs> the MP3 file would not exist. But isn't it glorious? Our farty horns transcend the path cast. They are... <laughs> Oh, no. They transcend professionalism. That's certainly true. <laughs> oh God, yes. Decent. Uh, I should make an apology to the uh, composer of the Farty Horns director's Why? cut. Well, the fa- fake composer, because in the last <laughs> episode, uh, so listeners, I'm not going to recap it. And again, I'm afraid. Uh, if you want to know more about Farty Horns, uh, last week's episode 150 is the one you want. We can also yes. link that video that I showed y'all. I yes, most certainly. Oh. Um, but yeah, in the last episode, I referred to him as a blind composer. And he right. was, in fact, deaf. Quote unquote, we, yes. Uh, uh, yes, uh, according, according oh. to the video. Uh, we, I just believed you. Yeah, uh, well, I I just clearly got it the wrong way around. My apologies to the person who pretended he composed a dreadful right. piece of music. <laughs> we we uh, apologize for getting your, your fake disability wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Eddie has a specific amount of spite towards fake disability. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? On the subject of the farty horns, the, the fake composer gets a lot of the flack, it seems, in all the articles surrounding it. But regardless of whether he committed a fraud, which he did. He did. He didn't compose that dreadful piece of music. It was an actual musician who is still producing music. And as far as I know, he has not been sort of dragged over the coals, as it were, uh, for for making that abomination in Resident Evil Director's Cut. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting for some kind of receipt here. Uh, <laughs> I would like uh, the actual composer to get in touch and explain himself. 
Um, and, and actually, I will, I will, um, like Daisy mentioned, I'll put the video in the show notes, but there's a video uh, we've been watching just this morning um, where they actually talk to some musicians about the music theory behind that track. And it is fascinating and changes nothing about how bad that music is. Well, you say that, that <laughs> so there's another link that I will put into our private Discord so that you can put it in the show notes. People are going to be fascinated where <laughs> a where another musician has adjusted it slightly to make it actually listenable and oh, okay. uh, i don't know what it's uh, what they adjusted but it was something very very simple and all of a sudden it's a workable horror track so it's as if huh. uh someone just sort of clicked the wrong tone button on their casio keyboard and this is what <laughs> came out uh, and it reminds me of uh of the video game one of uh, uh, another abomination the video game aliens colonial marines yeah. Which for what for some reason I played all the way through. I did a let's play of it once upon a time. Oh wow. And I didn't know it was going to be that bad. I started on the day of release. I was very excited. <laughs> and each uh, successive episode just crushed me a little more. But <laughs> the aliens in that game are just utterly dim. They're, they'll just they just sort of run straight at you and then they start flailing around. And right. I just thought, well, this is poor AI, isn't it, for a game that's been in development for something like 15 years. But I guess the development in 15 years thing was a bit of a giveaway. Mm. But nevertheless, I accepted it, and I just sort of took my position in the game with my pulse rifle, stood in a corner, waited for the aliens to come to me, and blew them away. Someone discovered about a year after the game's release, oh, they went into the code, and they discovered one typo. Yeah. And it was, I am trying to remember the word now. This is usually the sort of thing Dixie is very, very good at looking up while I'm talking. But it was one word that was misspelled in one single line of code. And as soon as the spelling was corrected, this modder discovered the aliens started acting. It still wasn't great, but they started acting in a sensible way. Apparently but... tether was misspelled as teeter. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So they became tethered, which was important because it meant they stopped flying off into the air and spinning right. around in circles. And now they would climb down walls along ceilings and burst out of things, which is how aliens in the Aliens universe are supposed to act. Yeah, the, the line of code was supposed to read, attach pawn to tether. And mm. instead it read, attach pawn to teether. So the AI controlled bad guys would spawn and have no clue where they were or what they were supposed to do. Producing yeah. ridiculous interactions. I'm looking at GIFs of this right now, and it's hilarious. <laughs> well, so I did a Let's Play of that, as I say, and what's remarkable to me is I know that the company rushed that game out at the end, but that yeah. they didn't play a final build of it and think, these aliens are acting very strangely. Or, in fact, any build up to release and think these aliens are acting uh -huh. very strangely. Uh, you know, maybe the typo happened on the day before release, I don't know, but yeah. It's uh, so we can tie that back into Resident Evil Farty Horns and our journey with Onyx Path. And actually, um, that leads to since we're about to wrap up, um, uh, before we do our usual outros, an informal war has been occurring in the Pathcast. We've been paying attention to the past oh, two episodes. No. Um, Dixie I, started this. I wasn't this. doing it as a war. I just thought it was funny if I just put like a six minute experimental track at the end of the podcast just to mess with people <laughs> no i understand like, that it was not your intention but shots have been fired it wasn't a shot <laughs> it was like a gentle hug though the gentle hug uh matthew escalated on 
to, yeah. to put the farty horns at the end of last no, and no, beginning no, of last no, no. episode. My, yeah, I did the big big spider music from Resident Evil Director's Cut oh, at the I'm end sorry. of last episode. Farty horns opened the episode. Big big spider, which is a fantastic name for a track, <laughs> uh, closed it, which is possibly worse. The point is, this is literally like if I went up and gave you a hug and then you punched me, like. <laughs> In my defense, the punch was handcrafted because what's going to happen at the end of this episode <laughs> um, is I decided rather than putting just a random track of, of, of weird music at the end of this, I have actually pulled out, I, I bought a pack of, uh, of sounds, effects, and sound pieces for a DJ mix, like in a bundle a, year, a million years ago, and I just happened to remember I still had it. So I've actually made a dubstep track that I'm going to put at the end of this episode that is specifically titled Garbage Dubstep Underscore 2. Oh so, because go, underscore one was not garbage enough for me. I need to add more garbage. So and it is garbage. <laughs> it is uh, garbage. I, I can confirm. Uh, and it is, it is also dubstep. I mean, both 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 words are true. <laughs> oh um, no! So before people listen to the forty-five second masterpiece I have crafted just for both of you, where can they find you online, Dixie? They can find me at dixiecochran.com or Dixie Cyanide on most social media and all the discords. Every Discord. I'm in every Discord ever. Every Discord. All of them. Mm -hmm. And Matthew? Uh, They can find me on matthewdawkins.com, probably wearing earmuffs or not listening to the uh, last 45 (laughs) seconds of this episode. Uh, They can find me on Twitter as at DawkinsMP. My tweets are protected, but you can follow me and then you can see them. As simple as that. And yeah, uh, I think that's me. Uh, and you can uh, find me at uh, pugsteady.com um, and from there you can get access to uh, right now I'm only using really Twitter uh, so Twitter at pugsteady um, you can also find us all at uh, theonyxpath.com uh, we also hang out in the onyxpath discord primarily in the onyxpath cast channel so if you want to uh, tweet along or post along as you listen to the episodes, which has been actually a lot of our listeners have been doing lately, which is it's really fun to hear people stumble across things, although often they'll post things without context i'm like wait what are you talking about again we recorded that a week ago i don't remember what you're talking about now um but it, it, it's been fun to let people talk about party horns or ask questions about follow questions about it so yeah if you want to chat with us as a group that's a really good place to kind of hang out with both us and fellow listeners um and with that i leave you with the new onyx pathcast theme i'm so sorry many worlds one pathcast <laughs> Oh.